in our reading, we are taking a slight detour through the Old Testament to look at what the New Testament teaches us in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're looking this morning at the topic of peace. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. <clears throat> when we look at the ministry of Jeremiah, he prophesied that judgment was going to come on Jerusalem because the prophets were peddling a false religion. The city was suffering from injustice and dead religion. Jeremiah prophesied, prophesied that God's judgment would come upon them soon. The armies of Babylon would invade them. They would be taken exile. This would be God's long-awaited punishment. Over many centuries, the people had turned away from him, and then when they turn away from him, they get into trouble. Things don't work out. They make bad decisions. They end up in a, a situation where they call out on the Lord. They realize their need. They turn back to him, and he's gracious and forgives them. But over the centuries, they, they, they've done this repeatedly, but each time when they turn back, they never, they never really turn back to where they had been before. And there was a gradual slippage. They'd taken him for granted for so many generations, having turned to other gods, so-called gods, they were unfaithful to him again and again. And <clears throat> by this stage, the kingdom had been divided into two, but like Ireland, there was a north and a south. Jeremiah was prophesying in the south, in Judah. Ezekiel was saying pretty much the same thing. He had said the same thing pretty much to the, the northern kingdom, Israel. Yet the false prophets were saying to the people that everything was fine, there was nothing to be concerned about. Peace, peace. They said when the Lord says there is no peace. They were denying the word of the Lord. They were in denial that they had done wrong. They were in denial that there was a problem. The false prophets were saying that Jerusalem could look forward to peace and prosperity. Don't worry about war and invasion. They were saying, well, we're God's people. He's behind us. What can happen to us? They didn't realize that being God's people was about having a covenant relationship with him. And that required responsibilities on both sides. God would be faithful to them, but they had to be faithful to God. And they hadn't been. The political situation then was one where at a natural level there were there were enemies around in other countries, but these didn't have to be a problem if they were obedient to God and he would protect them as he has he had before. But the Babylonians were rising up in power. The the northern kingdom had already been exiled by this stage after Ezekiel had been saying the same things to them. But the, the southern kingdom, Judah, well, they were going on the same road except they are just a little bit more delayed. 
Babylon was a major world power, a superpower in its day. And it was threatening to take over Jerusalem. And so there were political concerns, not just spiritual concerns. In any country, there's political concerns. For the good of the country, looking forward. And last week, the Conservative Party conference, uh, the Prime Minister went in, onto the stage to sound of music from M People's Song, The Only Way Is Up, much to the annoyance of the songwriters. <laughs> the only way is up. Things can only get better. Everything's going to be fine. Peace, peace. And there is no peace, in a sense. I'm not making a political point. I'm just saying that there's a relationship between the welfare of a people and their relationship to God. Regardless of what political party has been in place in Britain over the last 40 or 50 years, even longer, there's been a steady decline in the spirituality of the people, a turning away from God. And the same is true in Ireland, both north and south of the border. Well, many people have justified walking away from church because of scandals, which were rightly to be criticised. It, it seems that for many people, they were, these were just a convenient excuse. For some people, they were genuine reason, and they still struggle with that. But for some people, it's, it was just a, an excuse for, yeah, they were on their way out anyway. And this just gave them a, a bit of justification. And many actually left the church without any nudge. There's been a decline in the morality and the spirituality of of people in Ireland over the the decades. And people are looking to go forward in their own strength, leaving God behind. Just like a teenager grows up and moves out of the house and sets up house on their own, not relying on their parents anymore. People think that they have matured. We don't need God anymore. I couldn't help but notice that the timing of the, the the Ireland's Future Conference in Dublin last week. Well, it's so close to this sermon, so I thought I'll mention it as well. People are talking about the future of Ireland. Is there going to be a border poll? Is there going to be a united Ireland? They're talking about the topics that are relevant to this. And many people are thinking, this is brilliant, this, this is going to be great. Things are going to get better. But where is the concern? Where is the, the conferences? Where is the talk about the spiritual state of the people in Ireland? It's as if there's people saying peace, peace, when there really is no spiritual peace with God. The situation today really isn't that different to the situation back in Jeremiah's day when you really think about it. The prophet Jeremiah spoke the word of the Lord to the people. And if they had repented, if they had turned back, well, God had a track record of turning things around, not giving them the judgment that he had planned for them. Instead, they may have received blessing. The Babylonians may have been averted. They may not have gone into exile. 
when it comes to the state of a, a people, a country, or, well, I'm not a great fan of uh, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, the Church of Scotland, the Church of Ireland. There's so much liberalism, so much that isn't biblical in it. And yet there are so many good Bible-based evangelical churches within certainly within the, the the Church of Ireland and in the Church of England. And these churches are growing. In fact, these churches are, I've been told, got so many people who are good givers that they're funding the rest of the, the denomination. But although there are some good churches, the system is got so many concerns. It's as if the church leaders are saying, everything's fine, let's have peace, let's have compromise, let's not, let's not be too radical and do what the Bible says, let's just try and keep everything at peace. Let's find some compromises. Meanwhile, each time they make a compromise, a spiritual temperature in the church, in the denomination, in the country, goes down. And yet, I was very pleasantly surprised to read of, to hear of the, a modern Jer day Jeremiah speaking at the, the Queen's funeral just a few weeks ago. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, according to one writer, said that it was brave to tell 500 world leaders, dignitaries and gathered royalty that their power is ephemeral that is just like, it can just disappear in a moment. That their palaces and crowns count for nothing in eternity. And that all that will endure of their earthly status and political success is the love that they give. The Archbishop spoke the gospel more clearly than I've ever heard anybody in his position speak, in my living memory anyway. To quote from him, he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ, God himself, said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. People of loving service are rare in any walk of life, and leaders of loving service are still rarer. But in all cases, those who serve will be loved and remembered when when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. A real challenge to world leaders in front of them. At the end of his rather short sermon, I couldn't believe, I thought, oh, this must be just a wee excerpt on the whip. But that's all he said. He said it slowly, so it seemed longer. <laughs> but, but he got towards the end and he said, Christ rose from the dead and offers life to all. Abundant life now and life with God in eternity. And in <clears throat> maybe the closest he could get to a gospel call, he said, as the Christmas carol says, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. It was a call to, to world leaders to receive Christ in their hearts. There are times when Nations need to hear the word of the Lord. They need to hear 
that the future of the nation is not just dependent upon the economics and the, the military and the political situation, but the spiritual state of the people. And the role of the prophets in the Old Testament was to speak to the, the people and to guide them spiritually and to pursue the causes of justice and holiness. And in day, Jeremiah's day, that message was ignored. The false prophets were ignoring the justice issues, the, the fact that the, the widows, widows and the orphans were helpless and nobody was pleading their case. And the false prophets were saying, peace, everything's fine. But yet, the country lost the peace it had and the Babylonians took them into captivity. We probably well know the, the, the song that speaks of that. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. Those are the opening words of Psalm 137 that speak of the Babylonian capture after the people had turned away from God for so long. Instead of looking across the water to Britain and what the Archbishop of Canterbury was saying there, if we look in the other direction across the water to the United States, just a few weeks ago, Billy Graham's daughter the evangelist Anne Graham Lotz spoke at a church conference and she was saying something more direct. She was saying, a nation that in a way, like Judah, we've rejected God. We've turned away from him, she said. And we've had more than 52 years of relative peace and prosperity But instead of using that time to draw near to him, to live out our national life in gratitude for his blessings, acknowledging that all blessings come from him, we've turned away from him. She stressed that the church needed a fresh vision of Jesus, just like Isaiah when he saw the Lord on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6. She was calling the church to have a fresh vision of Jesus, so that the church could have a fresh message to the people of the United States. The situation that Jeremiah ministered into wasn't really that different in many respects, at least morally and spiritually, from the state of many Western countries today. And yet the Lord called the people to peace. And yet what was that peace that he called them to? It was peace that was based on a restored relationship with him. Based on his grace, his covenant mercy, his promised mercy, his loving kindness. Covenant in the Bible, we read it a number of times. God made a covenant with several people in the Old Testament. There is... Noah, there's Abraham, David. We we know of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, one of the characteristics of covenant was, especially with the Israelites, that there were two sides. One side 
made promises and commitments and the other side made promises and commitments. Each side had responsibilities. The problem was that although God kept his side of the bargain, the people kept failing. And covenants involve rewards for keeping it, but also punishments for not keeping it. It's effectively the same today as, say, a builder taking on a contract. If if everything goes well and they do things on time, you get a bonus. But if you run over time, there's a penalty clause. In the New Testament... What was impossible in the Old Testament for people to keep in their own strength, in the New Testament it is made clear that, well, as as Ezekiel and, and others have said, in that day I will put my spirit in their heart and each one will keep my word and they will know and they will follow me, says the Lord. The thing about the New Covenant is not that there were there's the possibility of people coming to know the Lord and have the Spirit. The the difference is that the new covenant, everyone will be a believer. Every believer will have the Spirit. God's people will not be characterized by being mostly unfaithful. God's people, the true church, will be characterized by being faithful. And how can we be faithful? God will keep his side of the bargain He will keep his promises. But in order for us to keep our side, in order for us to be obedient, how can we be obedient? We can't in ourselves. But the Lord gives us through the Holy Spirit, the Lord gives us the ability to be obedient, to do his will. And the Lord himself sacrificed himself on the cross so that our sins will be forgiven. But he gives us the ability And so he keeps his side of the bargain and he makes sure we keep our side of the bargain and we will be vindicated on the judgment day and enter into glory with him. But these things were prefigured in the Old Testament. In Exodus 24, the Lord says, Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered and I will come to you and bless you. In that he speaks of burnt offering and peace offerings. God was the first to ever put in place a peace process and that involved the shedding of blood, that involved sacrifice. And these offerings of animals prefigured Christ, as we read in Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins in themselves. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, 
good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honour at God's right hand. The peace that God offers us is, is put in place by the Prince of Peace. As Isaiah speaks of Jesus in Isaiah verse, chapter 9 verse 6. And the peace that at times the Israelites knew when things were going well with them and God, it was a holistic peace, not just the cessation of conflict, not just a ceasefire, not just the kind of peace processes we're familiar with, but it was a harmony, a unity of God's people, a love between the people, a peace between them and God. And the Hebrew word for that is shalom. And that's the peace that God offers us when we place our faith in Christ. Where his sacrifice on the cross changes us from being on the wrong side of God, his enemies spiritually, to being at peace with him. We come into a new relationship with him through justification by faith alone. And once we have been justified by faith, well, after Paul has written in Romans 1 to 4 about the need for justification being right by with God by faith, he then starts in the second half of the second chunk of Romans 1 to 8. He starts in chapter 5 at the start and says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. It's one thing to have peace with a neighbour or peace between countries. And these things are brilliant when they happen. And we try and do what we can to facilitate that. We try and be peacemakers. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. But peace with God is infinitely more important and blessed than that. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Friends of God. That's who we are if we've placed our faith in Christ. We're at peace with him. There's many people, people we know, I'm sure, who are still struggling in life. They're, they're, they're not at peace in their own hearts and minds. They're not at peace with God. And they're looking for fulfillment in one thing after another. Whether it's pleasure, going on holidays, whether it's seeking other religions, trying to fill that God-shaped hole in their lives. And yet, 
they don't realize that <clears throat> he himself is our peace. And Jesus encourages us that we are at peace with him. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. After his teaching, he, be, he says, this is so that you may know you have peace with God in me. Here on earth you may have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Decade after decade, century after century in human history, from the Babylonians weren't the first world superpower and they're certainly not the last and certainly not the first country to try and invade another to try and gain more power and wealth. Some countries are trying to overcome others for various reasons. But that never brings peace. That never brings true prosperity. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has won victory over sin, over death. And he has overcome. And so it's great, it's wonderful so that not only can we have peace with God in our hearts through faith in Christ, but we can have peace, we can enjoy peace together as God's people. In Psalm 133, those wonderful words. It's a short psalm, just three verses. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Living together in harmony, shalom with everlasting life. The peace that God offers is peace with himself, peace amongst each other. And we need to foster that more and more, not necessarily amongst ourselves here, but amongst church folk, across denominations, across congregations. We need to celebrate and enjoy that unity and peace that we have with other believers. Our identity is in Christ and we shouldn't let culture or politics or nationality or any other identity separate us because what we have in common is far more important than what, naturally speaking, might separate us. Above all else, we are, our identity is in Christ. We are citizens of heaven. The peace that God offers is a peace with him here and now and with each other, but also is a peace that looks forward. It's a peace that looks forward to eternity ahead. But yet while we're still here, as Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. We can persist here and now. Through the, We can persevere through the difficulties of life knowing that we are right with God. 
and we have peace through Christ. But not only can we know that peace externally, we can know that peace internally in our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit, or the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, and peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart. Not only peace with God, but a sense of stillness, a sense of calm, a sense of peace in our own lives. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are called to live at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. That's part of what it is to be a believer. But it's wonderful to know that the kingdom of God is is a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of peace. And we can know that not only we will live in that to, to come in eternity, but we can know that in our hearts here and now. There are many people who have changed from living a, a life of conflict, a life of war, to a life of peace. And a household name is one that's worth just illustrating with. In 1867, there was a Swedish chemist who awoke one morning to read his own obituary in the local paper. His name was Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite. It said in the paper, he died yesterday and he was known for having devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. He died a very rich man. That was his obituary. But actually, it was his older brother who had died. <laughs> it wasn't him. But the newspaper report, that obituary, what they had said about him, the money he made through the death of so many people, had a profound effect on him. He didn't want to be known. He didn't want to die as a person who, who was known for having made money out of death and killing people. So... From the money he had made, he had turned around and he initiated a peace prize. And so we've got the Nobel Peace Prize today. And in a sense, that illustrates the fact that, as he said, every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. And, and the gospel gives us that opportunity to change our lives. That while our epitaph might be one thing, after we turn to Christ... It becomes another. And the gospel calls us into a life of peace with God, peace with one another, and promises an eternity of peace, of shalom to come. And so Paul encourages us don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus.
when we trust in God, when we don't worry but pray and give thanks, it's not that that brings us into a state of being at peace. We're already at peace with God. But it helps us mentally experience that peace. It gives us peace of mind and peace of heart. We're already in a relationship with peace. But sometimes we need that peace to, to become more of a reality in our hearts and minds. And as the Holy Spirit works in us, as we pray, as we give thanks, we can be at peace with God. We can trust that he's in control. We're not in control of tomorrow, of the future. We may worry. People tend to worry when they're not in control. When, when you're in control, you tend to do things. But when you can't fix things, when you're powerless, that's when you start to worry. But even though we might be powerless, God is not powerless. And he is able, he has a future in his hands. And trusting in him, praying to him, and giving thanks for what he has done for us, we can end up with peace in our hearts. C.S. Lewis wrote that <clears throat> a car is made to run on petrol and it wouldn't run properly on anything else. Now God has designed the human machine. He's speaking in a scientific way. He's talking about us. God has designed us to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And that's why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because there's no such thing. It is just not there. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And to know God, to know peace with God, we need Jesus. To know peace in our hearts, we need Jesus. To know peace in our relationships, we need Jesus. To know peace in the church, we need Jesus. And to know peace in the world, we need Jesus. So let's ask his forgiveness for when we haven't been more peaceful. Let's trust him to have more of his peace in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have come into this world. Jesus, you died on the cross. Lord, to, to take away the the matter of justice for our sins so that we could be at peace with the Father. We thank you that you have given us a new spirit that we can walk in peace and joy and love. We thank you that you have given us a future, the certainty of what is ahead for us. Lord, help us to appreciate all of these things. Help us to look to you above all else. And help us, Lord, to thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.